Fan Drive Time, Sportsnet 590, The Fan, Sportsnet 360, Ben Ennis, Blake Murphy. I don't think anybody's underestimating the Panthers here, right? They just knocked off the Bruins in seven games. And... I mean, I literally called them a fake underdog yesterday because okay. you and dive into the stuff. But, but you, oh, I, oh, I say you, you called them a fake underdog. Yeah, like okay. the, the degree to which they are underdogs has been overstated because they got healthy you know, when they were healthy, they were really, yes. really good. And they were the defending president's trophy champions. And they like under the hood, if you can stay out of the box, they're a really good team. Yeah. And uh, yeah, according to the nerd breakdown of this series in the athletic, like no team in the ana- in the history of analytics covering this sport has underperformed their underlying numbers more than this version of the Florida Panthers did. Uh, and they are up one game to none on the Toronto Maple Leafs. Uh, one of the co-authors of that breakdown, the nerd breakdown of the series, joins us now. Sean Gentile, NHL writer for The Athletic. How's it going, Sean? Thanks for doing this. Ben, Blake, greetings you from uh, glitchy, glamorous Las Vegas where I'm standing under a monorail track right now talking to you guys. So, what's going on? Hell yeah. I, I love Vegas. I love the monorail there. I got to ask. I, I know that at The Athletic, you guys flex coverage around a little bit, and, and someone's got to draw the Vegas assignment. How did you luck out? How do you get that one versus, you know, being the Panthers person for, for this series or something like that? Who? What strings did you pull to get Vegas? <laughs> I think Vegas and Edmonton cancel each other out. That's true. Let's put it that way. It's like, <laughs> it's like you... Uh, you, you, you take an L in one column and a dub in the other. I, I, I think that's where I'm at right now. Uh, and game one tonight, of course, on Sportsnet at 9.30. I mean, we'll talk about that series in just a second. We're, we're focused on the hockey mecca, Sean, that is Toronto. Uh, in the Mesa, Florida. Yeah, <laughs> it's not It's not Sunrise, Florida, which is not in Miami. Uh, it's really not. I've been to that arena, by the way. I've been to a lot of crappy arenas. I've been to the, the, the one, well, where the, the Hawks play, where the Thrashers used to play as well. Anyways, besides the point, Panthers are better than they showed during the regular season. We know that. You wrote about it, Sean. Um, that being said, they look pretty, I mean, not underwhelming. Like, it was, it was a pretty even game, and I would say that for the majority of the game, the Maple Leafs actually controlled the, the, the run of play, especially at the end there, and especially on the power play, and going over again on the power play. How do you feel about game one, and how should Leaf fans feel after game one? I think they can expect more of this, right? Like, I heard you guys talking before I, before I jumped on. Blake, you got Panthers fake underdog. I mean, I, I think that's I think that's true, and it was true of them heading into the Bruins uh, series to an extent as well. Um, it's a really good five on five team, and look, finishing ability counts. You know, I, I think there's a little bit of a desire to look at a team that's driving play, but maybe not scoring goals at you know the commensurate rate, and just say that solely that they're getting unlucky. Like I don't know if that's true. Like you you want to have a team that has you know, finishers and, and killers when it comes to when it comes to that regard. And I think the Panthers maybe are lacking there. But, man, I, the way it was always going to go with them is if they started getting bounces and if maybe a couple guys leveled up and if the goaltending normalized, they were going to be a tough out. The Bruins learned that the hard way, and I'm not surprised by, by what we saw last night. It's a, it's, it's a good team that's playing, that's playing at its, at its – uh, at its top level right now, and that's about what you can expect. And, and maybe they're not, you know, flush through the lineup with the elite finishers, but what they do seem pretty elite at, at least through the playoffs so far, is punishing mistakes. And, and I know there's, you know, some of the, the you know, Corey at shutdown line or, or the 
uh, sport logic or whatever have a specific definition of this many seconds after a, a turnover counts as a as a mistake punishing goal or whatever i mean you just watch it and they jump over every kind of mistake and quickly turn pucks the other way um what do you make of how Toronto matches up with that particular skill for the Panthers, especially in Toronto's end? I didn't think the Leafs defense struggled that much with Florida's forecheck yesterday, but it did seem any time they struggled with it, Florida was right on top of Samsonov. Um, how do you think the Leafs match up with that ability for Florida to punish the mistakes you make in your own end? I think you nailed it, man. That's a that's a really effective, really dangerous forecheck to, that the Panthers have. You know, And, and that's the thing that's the thing that they've been able to hang their hat on this season. It's kind of ironic given, you know, all the success they had with being pretty much a primarily, you know, primary rush team last year, but give Palmer his credit. I know he, he takes, he takes a lot of crap. He takes a lot of crap and, and rightfully so most of the time, but he, he found a way to come in and on the fly, change them into not just a four checking team, not just a team that talks about getting pucks in deep or whatever, but a team that does it, effectively and, and, and efficiently. So you know, give, give him some dap there, I, I suppose. But that's the biggest thing, I think, that, that Leafs fans, I know the, the result, the result, you know, isn't, isn't what anyone wants up there. But, you know, they did find a way to, 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 comp- to combat the forecheck. And that's something that, that Boston struggled with. And it's something that, uh, that you know, a lot of teams in, in the regular season did. Credit the Panthers. They got bounces. They were opportunistic. You know, the, everything counts, right? Win, wins are wins in the playoffs, regardless of how you can do them. But there was some good stuff happening on, under the hood there for the Leafs that I, that I don't think we saw from Boston, especially in those last uh, those last three losses. Yeah, problem is uh, they ran into a goalie who was pretty pretty good and has a history of being real good in winning a, a couple of Vesnas. That was a, a while ago, and this was also a guy who lost his job to a 30-year-old journeyman <laughs> and Alex Lyon, who single-handedly seemingly got the Panthers into the playoffs, but there's a reason why he's being paid $10 million a season from now until eternity, I suppose. It's because he's capable of these things. I I would ask you, though, Sean, like that we've seen it so sporadically during his Panthers tenure. How how real do you think it is that he, or how realistic is it that he goes on an extended heater here in the postseason? Yeah, man. Is there a more like a bigger feast or famine goaltender than Sergei Bobrovsky? It's kind of it's an eye of the beholder thing with him, right? Where you can talk about him knocking off teams in the playoffs, like he did uh, when he was in Columbus, knocking off Tampa Bay. He played a huge part, obviously, in, in the in the upset last round. But he's also the guy that you know has been on the verge of losing his job for the last couple of years. I think that's safe to say. And then then Al Klein kind of came and took it for the for the last uh, eight games or. or or 10 games out there. So, yeah, I, I tend to be a – I'm a Bob skeptic, honestly. Like, I've been assuming, I think, for the last couple of years, maybe, maybe Spencer Knight comes and takes with it, maybe there's some other some other option there. But, man, here he is. You know, he's, he's cashing he's cashing those checks. He's making, he's making 10 schmill a year, and he's uh, and he's winning playoff games. So, I don't know. He's, he's a volatile player. I, I think that's the upshot here, right? Like, yeah, he's capable of stealing games. We've seen him – We've seen him do it. We probably saw him do it last night. And also, you know, he's he's capable of self-destructing in a way that you don't typically see from a dude who makes $10 million a year playing goaltender.
Well, in terms of volatility, uh, another key Panther has that rare ability to make other teams volatile and, and kind of collapse on themselves. That's Matthew Kachuk, one of the certainly one of the best players in the NHL, also one of the most annoying uh, to go up against. In the preview that you guys did at the Athletic, um, you said that Matthews against Kachuk is arguably two of the best American forwards in the league. I don't even know it, how arguable it is this season. Um, what did you think of how the Leafs matched up against that Kachuk? line last night of what they can do better you know they they did play their fourth line a lot against that Kachuk line early in the game or kind of pinned in their own end what have you seen you know what what works nothing works great against that group but what can the Leafs try to do a little better to neutralize that trio yeah I think I think rolling the fourth line out there against against them I, I can see why Keith did it it makes sense it, it obviously didn't didn't work out the way the way he, he would have uh, he would have wanted it to but you can see the logic, right? Because against against Boston, he was primarily like it was the Bruins matching, you know, tops. There was the line matchups in, in that series were all over the place. But one of the constants was, you know, Boston was going best on best, basically. If, if you consider, you know, their their top their top two lines like in that uh, in, in in that realm. So yeah, I uh, I I understand the logic from Keith. I think I would have done it if, if I were in his position. You know, because we we saw the alternative and it didn't work in round one. I I mean I don't know. I, I to to me I, I I think you I think you do give us that matchup. You do try to give us Matthews versus mm-hmm. versus Kachuk and just see what happens. Maybe maybe that's the move to start off game two because you know I give Keith Ketter for this too. He saw something that wasn't working and moved away from it. Right. So mm-hmm. so you you just move on move on to the next to the next attempt or or, or to the next uh, sort of sort of try to, to neutralize it because it's tough, man. That guy's playing at, at an insanely high level. He's making his teammates better. That's something that everybody affiliated with him talks about, whether it's anybody who's coached him or played with him or, or whatever, that dude drags guys into the battle. He's got that. He really, it sounds corny, but, but he's, he's got that ability. And I think we're seeing that. No, uh, it, it absolutely tracks to what we saw in, in game one, mm-hmm. Sean. And I know this is unfair because the Panthers are up one, nothing in the series and Matt, Chuck just had a three assist game and drew a penalty that uh, resulted in uh, the the put away goal, the the, the fourth goal of the game. But it's hard. Okay, I'll just pose it to you. You're drafting a a playoff hockey team right now. Austin Matthews, Matt Kachuk at the very top of the list. Who are you taking? Kachuk. He's got he's got juice that we that we don't see from elite NHL players, right? Like the the production's there as a hockey player. He's Pretty much everything you'd want. He's he's got goal scoring ability. He's not maybe not the smoothest skater, but he doesn't lack for skill at all. He, and he's uh and he's he's a brat in a positive way. He's out there drawing penalties and and, and causing and causing problems. But also there's there's an X factor that that dude has. He's a he's a needle mover. I talked to Colby Armstrong a, a couple of days ago for for our podcast, and you know he, he called he called it the psycho X factor that, <laughs> that Kachuk has, right? I mean it, it's it, he, he's got that in a way that I'm not sure we we can keep we've seen from anybody else in the, in the modern game right now when you, when you consider you know how how skilled he is as well. So yeah, I'm I'm taking him. No due respect, to Austin Matthews, right? Because because I I I know what side my my bread buttered on from a from a from a standpoint with, 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 with the place i work right i'm, I'm not gonna, i'm not going to slag matthews I, I think he's i think he's great but right now today it's it's matthew kachuk in a no-brainer
No, you got to protect your Panthers fan uh, readership, okay? The, those people, <laughs> they, they're all five of them. Um, so, yeah, Michael Bunting, he has the, the psycho thing a little bit, uh, as exemplified in game one against the Lightning. A little too much psycho. Um, but he looked great yesterday, honestly, and, and looked pretty good in game six against the Lightning as well. I mean, in retrospect, Sean, does it not seem like the most ridiculous thing that that Sheldon Keefe riding a three-game winning streak decided to hold him out an extra game as a guy that scored 20 goals in back-to-back seasons? That made more sense to me when it happened than I than I thought than I thought it did for other people. Honestly, I I looked at that and was like, okay, I I can I can kind of see this. You want to send maybe some kind of extra message, and also, you know. I you gotta you gotta resist falling in the trap that because something worked once or a lineup worked once that every element is is uh, is the credit for it and you should just stick with it. Like I'm I'm all for avoiding complacency, but I don't know. I thought what they did with Bunny made sense. I thought the way that, and I thought the lineup decisions in Game Six just generally uh, made sense for Keith and it's paying off because Bunting, you know, it look we've, we've seen ups, we've seen downs from him uh, really over the over the duration of of the regular season. Man, he, he looks like himself and all's well and ends well, right? Like this is this is a decision, at least as it relates to Michael Bunning, I think, that seems like it's paid off. Well, another part of that game six change was to go to an eleven and seven uh, format for the Leafs lineups uh, that would have had Gustafson in it in, in that game. If they go back to it, perhaps Gustafson, perhaps Hall, and maybe a Zach Aston Reese who only played six minutes yesterday coming out of the game. Um, do you have any utility for the the eleven and seven look for the for the Leafs in this series? I get why it's tempting because because it's not just that they have seven defensemen, it's that they have seven guys who kind of have uh, complementary or differing or varying skill sets, right? Like Eric Gustafson certainly is 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 not the same player as, as Timothy Lilligren, and, and Lilligren's not the same at all. And you know you you want to have options there, especially especially in that first series for for Toronto where they really struggled, I think, with the just get, getting the break started, right, out, out of their own end. So, so, so you want to have options. But also, I don't mind I don't mind Zar. I don't mind Aston Reese in that capacity. I know he didn't play that much last night, and I know that like, he might be short in the bench a bit uh, down the stretch, but um, he's an effective four-checker. And I, I also don't mind having him around as a, as, as a spare part. Like, I, I think it's one of those situations where whatever Keith does is going to be credited or discredited or second guessed or whatever but but i i think it's i think it's a coin flip for me it's, it's just a matter of whether you want options on defense or or if you want aston reese's uh four check ability right you just gotta you gotta take it on, on a game-by-game basis i think it makes sense to see that that's what he's doing yeah and your best players have to play like your best players and you have to score on your power play opportunities which you are gonna get which you did get yesterday paul maurice knows uh <laughs> that very well thrown up the 5-1, which was incorrect. Uh, it was 4-2 uh, in, in penalties uh, called uh, between the two teams. But that's a, a team that does play a style that would result, you would think, and a lot of guys going to the penalty box. It did during the regular season. It has during the postseason. Um, what do you make, Sean, of of him coming out publicly? And, like, he's not going to get fined because he put it in a way that was not a, a direct, like, shot to the officials. But, yeah, it's pretty clear that this is a sport in which uh referees like to manage the game and don't like to have a a heavy hand one way or the other do you think him coming out publicly in this series which has got the spotlight of the toronto media on it does that have any sway in the potential officiating of this series going forward <laughs> that's why you go out and hire a dude who's coached twenty five thousand nhl games or whatever whatever palmer is 
is that fifty thousand, a million? I, I don't know. I don't know how many how many coach games he's at now. This dude knows knows what he's doing. He he can he can lean on guys without getting fined, without you know making making the situation worse. I I trust I, again. This is like the Paul Maurice love fest on, on my end here, and I really I really don't mean to turn it into that, but I trust that dude. Uh, if, if nothing else, to know how to work officials and, you know, put bugs in the ears of those dudes who are, you know, all about game management and, 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 all, and all that stuff. I think what he said makes sense. I think it was probably the right, the right time to, uh, to, to deploy it. And we'll see what happens, man, because we, we know if, if nothing else, these, the refs, especially from coaches, especially when you're talking about penalty disparities and all that stuff, those things have a funny way of working themselves out over the course of uh, – over the course of the series, so smart move by Maurice. Um, I, I think uh, I, I think it'll be fun to see how exactly how it plays out. All right, Sean. Well, you are joining us from down in Vegas, where Game One between the Oilers and the Golden Knights go tonight. Uh, it's on Sportsnet. You're covering it for the Athletic. Uh, what's your read on this series? Look like the Oilers by not dragging things out to a seventh game, taking care of their business a little quicker in the in the last round. Um, maybe learn some lessons from the the last few years of playoff runs. Uh, are they? in your estimation, the best team remaining in, in the playoffs? Is that the Leafs? Um, I, I guess just how are you feeling about the Oilers heading into this one in general? I think as a man of integrity who picked the Edmonton Oilers to win the Western Conference and lose in the cup final to the Boston Bruins, I think I have to say that I believe in them. Right? I, I have to say that, that, they're, uh, that they're the best team that they're the best team still in the mix. But man, I, I, those first couple games against the Kings, like it made you, made you question it, rightfully so, because all those things we saw from Edmonton down the stretch, like those improvements at five-on-five, five, you know, the impact of, uh, of, of Matthias Ekholm, all those things, uh, uh, the, the, the steady hand of Stuart, of Stuart Skinner, because he, he got pulled there early. All those things were the reasons that people finally liked the Oilers, right? Those, those are the things that sold people on them. And then they, they vanished for, for a couple games there. Yeah, they came back in time, and whatever else, but the fact that I, it's kind of a, it's kind of a glass half full glass half empty thing. You can say, all right, great. They overcame this. They dealt with, 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 a, with some wobble at the goaltending position. They dealt with, you know, some, uh, some, some crummy five on five play and kind of came out of it. But the fact that it happens makes me nervous, honestly, because that's a, that's a, that's a good team in Vegas. You know, obviously they have more points than anybody in the Western conference, really good deep group of forwards, Alex Petrangelo for whatever reason, you know, for a high-profile, high-money player, I think people are sleeping on the kind of season he had. There's a, there's a lot of talent there. And if, and if I were someone who picked Edmonton to win the conference, which I am, I would, uh, I'd be a little nervous. Because this team, even though Mark Stone is hurt, this is or, or hurting or hobbled or whatever else, you know, this is a, this is a more dangerous team than I think people are people are giving them credit for sean on the vegas side uh i know you and i have a lot of musical taste overlap uh, if you are mm-hmm. the golden knights and you get to choose which vegas band is kind of playing them out or, or is the theme for this one are you going panic at the disco or are you going with the killers i'm going with the killers i think the killers are like the great lost stadium rock band of like our generation in a different world they would be playing they'd be playing you know sixty thousand seat football stadiums i i think and also, also they rep they rep Vegas hard. They mm-hmm. rep Vegas in a way that panic, with the way in a way that panic at the disco doesn't. So I don't know, man. It, it, it seems like a no brainer. I'm and I, I there's just more more killer songs that I connect with over the years than, than panic at the disco, <laughs> especially <laughs> late period panic at the disco. And it's like 
I don't know. Whatever, like whatever. It's like Sesame Street music or something. Have you yeah, not? I'm, I'm going. I'm going killer. Have you not been like a 40 year old, multi time divorced guy with a <laughs> drug problem? How are you not connecting with the late Panic at the Disco stuff? Unbelievable, man. <laughs> I'm on my way. I'm I'm I'm, I'm 37. I ha- I haven't yet been divorced, but you, you never know. Well, best of luck. <laughs> <laughs> we'll see. <laughs> on, on that note, Sean, uh, enjoy Vegas. Thanks for doing this. Yeah, fellas. Thanks for having me. Let's do it again. Sounds good. Uh, Sean Gentile, NHL writer for The Athletic in Vegas, getting ready for Game 1, Golden Knights, and Edmonton Oilers tonight. Um, all right, I'll ask you. I was going to ask him a gambling question. Mm-hmm. You like you like to throw down a couple ducats? You, I, I enjoy my time in Las Vegas. It's a it's an annual it? thing for Las Vegas Summer League. Yeah, yeah, yeah. All right. 12 against a 2. You hitting? What are you doing? Yeah, you, you, the math says you hit on 12 against the two. Yeah, that's right. What about against three? You still hit, and then against a four, I think, well, I mean, and if you're playing a blind hand without the benefit yeah, 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 of, yeah. of what's come out of the shoe to what? that point. Do you, do you play single deck? I mean, I, I don't get to choose that often. Like, if you if you go to Vegas and you're doing the tables, like... Yeah, like no, but there's single deck tables yes, where but nobody can flip stakes, their cards over. Yeah. Stakes are a, a big part of that, right? Like... Really? I, it's been a while like, since I've been th- to Vegas. I don't think you can find a $10 single oh, deck yeah. table. I think is what it's I'm saying, probably right? very difficult to find a $10 table anywhere. You can find a $10 table. Circus but, Circus? Yeah, maybe. I mean, Old Vegas is it has your options, right, for, yeah, uh, for you the know cheaper tables? I'd, I've never been to Old Vegas. And it's, Circus Circus is as close to it, right? It's at the yeah. far end of, of the strip. And I have, yeah. I have been to the minor league baseball winter meetings in Las Vegas wow. and stayed at Circus Circus for wow. $30 a night. So I, I, I'm well-versed I, in that, that side of the strip. I think my best Vegas night profit-wise came at the Golden Nugget. So uh, I have a... Uh, a soft spot for Classic. that that part of Vegas. I, what I again, it's been years since I've been there, and maybe somebody can uh, alert me to to the realities of the, this situation if they aren't what I last left. But at Circus Circus, I mean, the the most profitable profitable times at a casino I've ever had have been playing craps. Mm. And at Circus Circus, they have like a one dollar minimum craps table, and it's right there in front, like it's on the strip. So yeah. it's it's really fun, right? Like you can wager more than a dollar or not. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> I, I that place, yeah, there's a, a lot that's not so great about staying at Circus Circus. Again, when I say there was 30 bucks a night, but that was great. Having a $1 uh, minimum uh, craps table out front on the strip. One year I was there and I witnessed a former NHL player playing not the $1 tables. Yeah. Uh, $3,000 hands at a time of blackjack. It was did not look like a good time. I will tell you that name off the air. Um, but speaking of winning, we have another Toronto FC giveaway for this Saturday's matchup against the New England Revolution. It's at 7.30 at BMO Field, and the Leafs play Sunday, so you don't have to worry about that. Mm-hmm. Saturday at 7.30. To enter for a chance to win these tickets, text today's code word Johnson to 590-590. Again, text code word Johnson to 590-590. That enters you for a chance to win tickets to this Saturday's game. Also at the game, fans will have a chance to check out the Budweiser Kings Club, where they can bring their community kit to be designed by an artist on-site or you can purchase a new kit there to be designed as well. You can go to sportsnet.ca slash 590 for more details. Again, code word Johnson, text to the 590-590, TFC, New England Revolution, 730 on Saturday down at BMO Field. Well, and very shortly, perhaps even as early as this summer, next season, you might be able to see Leo Messi in MLS because he's done apparently with PSG after he went to Saudi Arabia uh, on a day that he was supposed to be training with his 
Paris Saint-Germain team, and um, they said, thanks, but no thanks. Like, you're suspended for two weeks. And apparently, though, like a month ago, he said, I'm not re-signing. But this opens up, like, a whole world of possibilities. Obviously, the connection to Saudi Arabia has been clear. Like, he was there because he was signed to a tourism contract. So he was Hmm. trying to honor the terms of that agreement. But, like, that's with the Saudi government, who also controls... All the sports leagues there, including the soccer league. We know that there's like an Inter-Miami thing with David Beckham. But yeah, it's it's uh, it's not out of the realm of possibility that at what, like 36 years old, Leo Messi, I, I think would have to be given some sort of an ownership stake or like, you know, Tim Cook again is going to have to jump in off the top ropes from Apple <laughs> and hand him something. But yeah, like this could be the beginning of, of Leo Messi's travels uh, to North America. We'll see. But yeah, it was big news today. Yeah, I mean, it was big news coming out of the World Cup as well. I feel like it's it's been it's keeps popping up as big news, and it'll keep doing that until it's officially news. Yeah, well, you know this I mean? is it. I mean, the way soccer works is that it would. There was a report like not that long ago that PSG was like they were ready. The, the paperwork was just about done. Just like some. I's dotted, T's crossed, and he was going to return to to PSG, which obviously didn't happen. Um, so I guess you got to take this report with a grain of salt. But it does feel like when you're being suspended for two weeks by the team. That's uh, that's probably a good indication. Uh, all right, when we come back, we have the MVP of the association on the Turning. court tonight after his team took care of business without him in uh, a vintage performance from James Harden in game one. Wow. It wasn't wow, vintage? You're gonna cre- well, I'm just, you're going to credit James Harden. Okay. Okay. Paul Reed, former G League MVP, had a double double in I've, that game and okay. uh, a huge plus minus as well. So I'm just just saying, they've now got the MVP and the G League MVP okay. as their center rotation. I don't even know what's going to happen for NBA Finals MVP. I think they got to share it. Mm-hmm. But yeah, good James Harden game. I was and and uh, yeah, maybe some coaching uh, full pause from Joe Mazzulla, who's uh, taking some heat. I would say uh, in Boston circles. We'll talk about that. We'll also talk about the fact that a Canadian got an MVP vote, which hasn't happened uh, since Steve Nash. Um, and we'll also get you set for Blue Jays, Red Sox, game three of four tonight on Sportsnet. As the fan drive time continues, Ben Annis, Blake Murphy, Sportsnet 590, The Fan, and Sportsnet 360. The most opinionated Maple Leaf show out there. Real Kipper and Born. Be sure to subscribe and download the show on Apple, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts. Fan Drive Time, Sportsnet 590, The Fan, and Sportsnet 360. Ben Ennis, Blake Murphy, and he may have never reached a conference final, but you know what? Joel Embiid just won his championship. God, this guy wants to wanted to win an MVP for a while there. He's, you, oh, come he's on. Are you making this out as if like him. every player doesn't want to win the MVP? Yeah, but it's like it, it is a little untoward when you're as as – vocal as he's been about okay. it and back-to-back runner-up finishes i mean it's yeah you run your runner-up twice in a row you had another uh, two other seasons where you've received mvp votes mm. um and like by the end of it he was better than Jokic. so i understand a little bit like sure he was yeah, maybe he was thinking for it a little bit but he, was he also the deserving was, winner exactly so how upset can you be i'm not 
I'm not upset. I'm just saying that it's on too hard when, when he people... shouldn't win the MVP because <laughs> he, he wanted, wanted it too it. much. Yeah. And according to that guy in Denver, he Joel Embiid doesn't wear the right boxers. Where oh, is that what he said? Well, no, it's just that Nikola Jokic does wear funny boxers. I'm not kidding that this was uh, like a part of a Denver uh, columnist's argument that Jokic is yeah. for the everyman because he wears like sponge. Well, and I don't want to make a comparison to to Jokic who said like I don't care about the he's won two. It's easy to say that when you've won two right but yeah no i understand everybody wants it and yeah we can go back to the russell westbrook side eye and that thing uh, before he did win it and you got them jealous eyes hogan <laughs> but uh, and it's it it means a lot it does it, because there's only one champion maybe it'll be the sixers uh they're not the favorites who is the favorite right now i i guess yeah, after they took game two despite the fact that chris paul is out like yeah i i don't have it handy but i would have imagined that entering this round Celtics Suns was the was the favorite to get yeah. it just because like the Warriors and Lakers even if you like one of them better like right. the attrition there sure. and and the market at no point this year has had quite the level of respect for the Nuggets that like their numbers mm. do do we have to now I, I think so but also like they had I mean they this is what you get as the one seed right they had yeah. the easiest first round opponent and now they're facing a Suns team without Chris Paul that just like and Kevin Durant didn't have the best game last time out like Dude. they they cannot score no that's messed up. They have the greatest score maybe of all time. <laughs> well, when he goes, he what, what was he, like two of 30 from three or something ridiculous? Whatever. Yeah, and he had a really he, poor yeah. first half, and then Chris Paul got hurt, and, and then KD yeah, turned it on a little bit. Quarter, but, like, but yeah. and, and, like, Devin Booker and DeAndre Ayton are still good players, but, like, you can't, you can't have two non-threats offensively in the game at the same time in the NBA playoffs. It just doesn't work that way. No. Uh, anyways. So th- that series with uh, another day off, and maybe Chris Paul, what he he could return as early as Game Five. Yeah, the the expectation is that he'll be out for games three, four, and yeah. five, and could return for six. But the hope is that he can return for Game Five if if everything well, goes just and as peachy as possible. It, it sucks, right? Like it, obviously his postseason legacy is. Um, it's not performing well, and his team's underachieving. But it's also him being hurt, right? Mm-hmm. Like going back to Game Seven. That that Rockets team that was unbelievable and had a chance to knock off the Warriors and then missed what uh, thirty straight three pointers. I believe it was twenty seven, <laughs> oh but yeah, they missed a whole lot of threes. Yeah. Anyways, um, so by it, the way, so James Harden was a part of those teams, right? And we actually one of the criticisms of James Harden has been, can you come through when a teammate doesn't or when the chips are down or whatever? And I mean, that's the natural pivot back to to the seventy sixers is that we finally saw that from James Harden, right? Like he, mm-hmm. he s- not stole them a game, but he won them that game. And I, I joked before that Paul Reed came through and yeah, every, everyone has to come through when you lose the MVP and you're going to win a second round game. But uh, that was, I, I think if we look at context um, because he, he's had some games that are better statistically, but like, does anyone care when like you're down three, nothing to the warriors and, and like, they're clearly treating it like a gentleman's sweep. No, I don't really know. Um, I know that, that game I think was the defining James Harden playoff game. And yeah. if the Sixers team, I mean, James Harden, because he has, he had that same stank that, that Chris Paul had, right? Like he yeah. was, he, I mean, how many of those 27 right? threes did he miss? And he's going to have it 
even worse, I think, if this 76ers team doesn't do it either because now that Embiid's sh- back yeah. and they have the MVP and they made And there's the- Joe Mazzulla, the, the embodiment of choker mentality. And there are the, there's the decision tree that led them to James Harden, which includes at one point like, uh, Jimmy Butler, no, we'll go the Ben Simmons and Tobias Harris route. Yeah. And then Simmons turns into Harden. And, and now it's like you look at, I mean, Jimmy Butler didn't play and the Heat still almost beat the Knicks, but mm-hmm. you look at what Jimmy Butler's done and you can draw some real what ifs. So I think Harden has just a monstrous amount on the table reputationally in these playoffs, as does MB, the, the whole 76ers thing does. But man, if I'm Boston and James Harden was able to do that as our defense doesn't have to worry about Joel Embiid. And now Joel Embiid's dropping back into the series, even at less than hundred percent. And Al Horford does not look very good defensively right now. Mm. I don't know, man. I'm, I'm sweating that a little bit if I'm Boston. Yeah. Um, we, we, you talked about Doc Rivers maybe being on the outside looking in uh, of the head coaching ranks if things don't go one way for the Sixers. I wonder if the same isn't true of Joe Mazzulla, right? Like, I, he, he just got that I, extension, I underst- I understand. But, man, like, as much as we were doing the Mike Budenholzer thing and pointing to him as the direct reason why the Bucks lost a couple of basketball games, like, look at the number of games. Well, they... I think, what is it? They set the record for most games lost as double-digit favorites this season. Something That's, like that, yeah. It's insane. And if you're Nick Nurse, are you not thinking about that possibility I as mean, well? So that was, yeah, I, I had not thought about Boston as a Nick Nurse possibility again because Missoula just got the job and, and got some Coach of the Year votes and, and just got an extension. Yeah, that's a kiss of but, death, though, but, winning pa- that award. Yes, um, in, in the NHL as well. Um, but what a part of what i made the case for nick nurse you know maybe maybe houston just really really wanted imeodoka and and that was it right but mm-hmm. maybe nick nurse wasn't eager to jump into that and when he said i'm going to take some time he wanted to take time because you want to see how the playoffs play out and like the milwaukee like the milwaukee bucks canceled their exit interviews their end of season media availabilities I don't know. That's that seems weird to me. That doesn't seem like a team that's not considering changes would do. Yeah. Um, you've got yeah. The, whoever loses this Philly Boston series is going to be dealing with some of those those questions as well. So um, yeah, there's going to be there are going to be some coaching. It gets harder the further you go in the playoffs. But a lot of these teams, like we entered this postseason with. I don't know, 10 or 11 teams in kind of title or bus mode. There are going to be a lot of teams unhappy with a second round exit or a first round well, exit or even it, a third round exit. Especially when you look at the at the, the the teams that are currently participating in the second round and save for maybe that Heat Knicks series. Like, who can't win? Who mm-hmm. can't win? Like, I, I could the Nuggets win? Sure. Of course the Nuggets could win. Yeah. Could the Lakers or the defending champions win? Of course. Could yep. the winner of this series tonight Win it all, yeah, and maybe like in Jimmy Butler, if like he it becomes Wolverine again and and plays on a gimpy leg, and can't he score fifty a game on two shots and lead the Heat to the most improbable title of all time? The Knicks can't win, but yeah, <laughs> can yeah. everybody but the Knicks win? And this is why I thought like obviously the Knicks have been so much fun this year. It's amazing to see RJ Barrett kind of rounding a corner after a pretty up and down year and having some big games. But you look ahead to the next round, it's like, yeah. well, I can actually see a scenario where the heat like if not beat one of boston or philly but uh-huh. like take a big bite out of them of course on the way to the final i don't know if the knicks do that beyond just like hey you're kind of annoying to beat no and even though jalen brunson the, did get some he got a, some down ballot yeah, MVP and votes. He, the the knicks just like they're not all the way there yet and to ironically to use the pat rileyism it's the innocent climb right mm-hmm. like they're they're still on the way up yeah and whereas a lot of these teams philly and boston they've done the the way up 
Right. They've been in number like Philly is Philly has been the second round equivalent of the Toronto Maple Leafs. Like the yep. parallels are ridiculously oh, similar with the tanking and getting a top it. pick. Yep. Yeah, it's it's a lot. And then Boston has been to finals and been to conference mm-hmm. finals and and been around for a long time. Dude, I, I mentioned the Joe Mazzula of it all. Is there not like the Jason Tatum of it all? Like after his performance at times Jay- during the Jaylen final? Jalen Brown has the contract up first though. And I yeah. think that's the bigger thing, especially with some of the new rules that are coming in the collective bargaining agreement. Um, the like extra penalties and roster building restrictions if you become a high tax team Mm -hmm. which boston absolutely has the money to do but it it handcuffs you for how you continue to build i don't know that that's probably something they have to look at this offseason if they get bounced here i think the best version of that duo is still really 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 good though and this Mm -hmm. team this team has the perimeter defenders that they shouldn't like james harden should not be able to go for 45 on them again in this series like mm-hmm. it just it shouldn't happen does it make you feel different differently about your hey the rockets could screw it all up by going out and signing james harden that he showed that he's still capable of of those types of performances and that i actually i i i, I don't know if it was a tweet or, or a comment that he's had uh previously to hey you look washed how come you're only scoring 20 and you're racking up all the assists is you know you can't have it both ways with this guy mm-hmm. either you say you can't win a basketball game by chucking up 23-point shots uh, or he's being a team guy. But he's obviously still capable of being that guy that he is. And he played said, an ugly brand of basketball in Houston, but damn weren't they effective. And he said after the game that he hadn't found that zone in a while either, right? Like by his own admission. I think he's, like, like Russ, a fascinating case of, you know, what you do and what makes you so special is as you get older and as you move to situations that aren't specifically tailored around you, it's hard to that internal fight of being all the way yourself or, or trying to learn to be a different version of yourself. It's like a fascinating thing that athletes like this face. Now, in terms of what it would look like in a Houston situation, like if you are going to pay him the mega max yeah. and try to bring in co-stars for him, he's going to be 34 well, when he signs that deal. And you're talking about a five-year contract. Like when probably was, not the, the best guy to have your young players develop under too. Right? I, I don't know if that's fair. <laughs> well, just not, like not, he's, not just, he's been through other than a championship. Eh. He's been through every situation a player could be through. He's won sure. MVP. He's been an all-star. He's been in rebuilding situations with yeah. co-stars like, okay, see, he's been, the guy, the free agent, the trade acquisition. Mm-hmm. Like he, I mean, I don't know him personally, but uh-huh. like there is a lot of different, there are, are a lot of different experiences to soak up from him. Mm-hmm. Um, but I think, I don't think James Harden is going back to Houston to be a vet mentor for a bunch of young kids. Like, no, he's gone there for the strip clubs again because he knows them very well. I, I'm not going to comment on that, uh, but we've already heard things like like rumblings that, oh, Jalen Green could be available as part of Houston's offseason, yeah. and like you're already starting to see, okay, this isn't about drop James Harden into that situation that has a couple cool young players and a top pick this year and then maybe add one or two other vets and like maybe you can tow both lines. You can compete mm-hmm. now while also developing young court. No, this is about Oh, a new shiny thing! James Harden will come back, and let's let's trade the young guys that's at, that are actually building something long term. Um, so I still don't think that's a, a very good idea, but I think it's great that James Harden is showing that that he can do that. You know, another time. Yeah, speaking of young guys and building something like they're doing in Oklahoma City, like we, I, I mentioned it before the break, Shea Gilgis Alexander finishes fifth in MVP voting. It's pretty incredible mm-hmm. for a guy who had obviously a, a breakout season. But yeah, as you rightly pointed out on on Twitter, 
the only Canadian outside of Steve Nash to even get a single vote. And you would think, Blake, like, not that this is setting the foundation for his eventual MVP, but if he plays, like, if he did that on a team that was a top four team in the Western Conference, like... I don't know. What are we looking at? Well, that's the other kind of magnificent part of him getting MVP votes is I, I went back through all the voting to make sure I wasn't missing some Canadian who had siphoned a fifth place vote somewhere. And it hasn't happened. Um, what also I, I didn't look at every single team record for every single person who had ever received a vote. But there aren't very many that come to mind who were on teams that were below 500. Yeah. And now my one because MVP does tend to be at least to some degree a narrative award. Mark Dagnall getting coach of the year love. He didn't win it, but he was a pretty resounding number two. The Thunder getting some of the love that they got deservedly so heading into the playoffs and the play in and stuff like that. And Shea getting those MVP votes now. I do wonder if they have to take a proper leap next year. Like if they come back and they're a 46 win team instead of a 40 win team and Dagnall gets the one year too late coach of the year nod and Shea's every bit as good, but people are like not as impressed (laughs) by, Oh, they won six more games that like they have better players. Like I, I just wonder if, if the team has to take a real big leap for Shea to, to move further up the ballot because it's hard to imagine uh, a better year than you average over 30 points a game That's efficiently it. on a team where you are the first and second and third threat. And yeah, other guys came like along. Like if we're just going on value here, and I get it. Hey, the, the Sixers can win a title and maybe they can't without uh, Joel Embiid, although they can beat the, the second best team in the Eastern Conference without him. What are the Thunder without SGA? Yeah, they're not much. I'll tell you that. Yeah. Um, now, there are still a good young team that like there's a lot of fun stuff there mm-hmm. and i think they're a the most fascinating team in this offseason that isn't like one of the aged oh we have to do everything to win right now like they have cap space and tons of draft equity and lots of young players and guys locked up like they can go any direction they want this offseason that that much is fun um had they lost just a couple extra games throughout mm-hmm. the year, I think we're headed for another scenario where Shea gets shut down early. So as much as there are fun things there, like mm-hmm. the plan probably was not for them to win 40 games just yet. It was probably one more year in the lotto and mm-hmm. shut Shea down a little early, but that's how good he was is he, he, him and Dagnall and a couple of the other guys being ahead of schedule just kind of dragged them where maybe they didn't want to go just yet. Yeah, I'm interested to see what a Chet Hol- Holmgren is. Like, what what that, was that guy look like? Can't be worse than a Pokashevsky. Yeah. <laughs> we should give uh, uh, AD his flowers mm-hmm. after the insane game. 30 points, 23 rounds, 5 assists, 4 blocks, 8 of 12. Well, Kavon Looney was his primary defender. Um, uh, he shot 7 of 7 on open looks. The Warriors shot 4 of 17 when AD contested the shot, um, he was he was everywhere. Like, mm-hmm. and, and I've I've loved to make fun of um, his seemingly uh, disappearing act uh, at times during the postseason. I know he's a, an NBA champion, whatever. And and well, I guess Charles Barkley calls him street clothes because he is it's often really injured. Good, it's a really good nickname. It is, but man. Was he not the difference in the game yesterday? Yeah, he was. And this, you know, we just talked about James Harden having maybe the defining playoff game uh, of his career. I know Anthony Davis has won a ring. And uh, even when he was with New Orleans, like I think he didn't have 50, but he had something close to 50 in one one of their playoff uh, games. But they, like the Lakers playoff run, first of all, has the bubble of it all. But also like, I can't remember Anthony Davis having a game that big on a night that LeBron couldn't have just 
taken over himself right. as well. Like that was the most man, LeBron needs you to come through like this. And I'm not saying LeBron had a bad game or, or there's anything about LeBron like like but LeBron shot nine of twenty four. Yeah. And there have been times in this postseason run already where like he can't cook Xavier Tillman. Mm-hmm. Or, you know, in this case and part of Anthony Davis Kevon Looney's been amazing in this playoffs, but part of why Anthony Davis is guarded by him so much is so that Draymond can take the LeBron assignment a little bit more. And that's obviously um, quite difficult. I, I think this is when you factor in the context of LeBron didn't have it to quite the same degree that day, like maybe one or two of the bubble games were higher watermarks than this, but that is pretty close to the defining Anthony Davis playoff game of this is why LeBron and the Lakers sold heaven and earth to get you as the co-star. Yeah, it was a great game. And I was talking to you yesterday. Like, I was excited about this series and, and throwing it back to that that Cavs championship and the Game 7 against the Warriors and how great that Game 7 was. But the, the previous six games of that series were pretty one-sided affairs both ways. And, of course, there was the, you know, the Draymond Green being suspended for, for Game 5 was uh, rather important throughout the course of that series. But, no, man, yesterday, like, start to finish, it was a great game because as great as AD was... Steph Curry almost shot him back into the, the basketball game. And then Jordan Poole. Did. I, I, I even tweeted out the Carlton meme. And I feel like so mm. basic being one of those that, that tweeted it out. It did. It just looked ridiculous. But that's if Steph is going to be double teamed at the logo, like and you're down three and Jordan Poole is a capable three point shooter. I don't think it's the worst shot in the world. No, I mean, it's it's pretty far down the list of things that the Warriors could have done better in this one. I think they're they're in a, a fairly good situation, actually, where they lost that game, and you don't want to lose a home game, and obviously the margin for error against a LeBron AD Lakers team is very, very low. And the Lakers are probably looking and saying, ah, we won't shoot 6 of 25 on threes again, even though they probably will. Mm-hmm. Uh, the Warriors have a lot of stuff they could have cleaned up in that game and done a little bit better. And, and you know, they face some tough decisions about, well, how often do you go small? Because the Lakers want them to go small, right? Like the Lakers would like for them to go Draymond at the five because it means Looney's not on the floor and Anthony Davis could get a bajillion rebounds. Yeah. Um, I thought Jared Vanderbilt did as good a job on Steph Curry as any forward can do. And like throwing length at Steph Curry is an interesting thing to mix it up because they don't have the water bug Fred Van Vliet, Kyle Lowry type to chase him around a million screens effectively. So you kind of just use length instead. But I think the Warriors can probably, similar to what I said with the Leafs off the top of the show, take some of that tape back and find a couple areas that they can be a lot more effective against what the Lakers threw at them. Uh, Blue Jays need to be more effective against the Red Sox because they've been ineffective first two games starting Mm -hmm. pitching bullpen offenses clicked at times and yeah Dalton Varsh with the two hit game including the home run yesterday that's all well and good but as we mentioned no Brandon Belt in the lineup again against a a right-handed pitcher after being pinch hit for against a righty in game one of this series um Matt Chapman's the DH today by the way which means that Santiago Espinal gets into the lineup as the third baseman Whit Merrifield uh at second base with Alejandro Kirk catching Alec Manoa um Maybe this is like, maybe this is unfair. And and we just, we talked to, to Dan Schulman about it. And he did mention this specifically that Brandon Belt, like you would like to see him get a run of games where he gets an opportunity to break out of it. But Blue Jays are in the business of winning baseball games. And I, I do feel like at times. And they have infinity games in a row now against winning teams. Dude, and at times, and we just saw poor Charlie Montoya goes to that White Sox team and they, they stink to high heaven. At times, there was an argument from my end about that same level of lineup urgency not existing with Montoyo. And I think what we're seeing early on in our first full season of sample with John Schneider is that 
hey, man, yeah, I'd love for Brandon Bell to be hitting as well. And I know it's just the early days of May, but he stinks right now. We're trying to win a baseball game. Here's the thing. If you had five guys who were playing well and the bottom four spots were all you know, bad day to day. And the, the Jays have looked that way for minutes at a time. Yeah. Um, yeah. I mean, there's just not a spot in the lineup, right? Like it, it's, it's one thing if he's your only option and no one else is really playing that well. And you just run it over and over again, because why not? But both the catchers are hitting like Danny Jensen has started to hit. Okay. Alejandro yeah. Kirk is, at least, I got no problems with Kirk. I mean, he's gotten on base. Yeah. That's what I mean. Yeah. It's like, like there's an argument to start one of those guys at DH. There's yeah. always an argument for, um, you know, as a Springer getting a DH day, one of the yeah. infielders getting a DH day. Like there's just, there's yeah. no shortage of options right now, even with a lot of the guys who are taking those spots, not hitting super Dude, well. They're still any better than Brandon Bell. No, that, that's it. It's like Santiago Espinal's in the lineup. He's a better hitter than Brandon Bell right now. And he brings defense, which is like yeah. Brandon Bell can spell Vladimir Guerrero Jr. at first base. But like, this is a different conversation if Kevin Kiermaier mm-hmm. is hitting this way to start the season, right? Yep. All right. Time now for last call brought to you by Bet Rivers. It's a whole new game. A couple of game ones in the second round tonight on Sportsnet. Uh, it is the Devils in Carolina to play the Hurricanes. This one pretty much coin flip. Hurricanes slightly favored, minus 112 uh, over the uh, minus 105 New Jersey Devils. Late game at 930, starting on Sportsnet West. We'll move to the uh, Sportsnet main channels once the Hurricanes game is over. Vegas Golden Knights hosting the Edmonton Oilers, who the Oilers on the road in game one are favored Minus 118. Blue Jays with Alec Manoa on the on the uh, hill against uh, Canadian Nick Pavetta. Minus 148 favorites to win a baseball game. That would be their first of the series, losing the first two. And then uh, NBA playoffs. The Philadelphia 76ers trying to go up two games to none on the road against the Celtics with the MVP back in the lineup. Uh, it is still, though, the Celtics eight and a half point favorites at home and that was last call brought to you by bet rivers it's a whole new game what a uh, cornucopia of sporting fair tonight blake yeah cornucopia <laughs> that word i use to describe the sports slate all the time that's no, good we're gonna get uh 76ers and celtics roll really nicely into uh oilers golden knights so that's great and then obviously jays get their own little screen okay uh, quad screen, screen it up tonight. Or we'll be back tomorrow. Uh, fan drive time. Sportsnet 590, the fan and Sportsnet 360.